Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida Statist in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everyone, and I wish I was joking on April Fool's Day, but we are back for only one hour. Uh, uh, where's the world's smallest violin? Right. <laughs> I was going to say, well, for me, at least after only two and a half hours of sleep, I, I think I'm good. Yeah, with, I think you're, you're probably good on that. And I mean, that show was, that was it was an exhausting show. It was too. an exhausting show, there, but it was a lot of fun. It I was a lot was, of fun, too. It was a unique experience um, for all of us. Definitely some tired and sore voices after that one. <laughs> uh, well, thank you to everyone who did tune into that show, by the way. Very, very appreciated. Regardless, um, it is no joke that we have a great show for you tonight. Talk about how wrong we actually were about our Sweet 16 predictions from last week. Just the whole tournament. Just yeah. How rough. It, like, it, it's so hard to be chalk about it. Yeah. Think everything is going to go exactly as you think it is. Um, I, I, how many brackets had Texas Tech in the final, in the I, final four? I, I don't Zero? Think, maybe in, like, one of my backup brackets. Yeah, maybe. But okay, actually, I... I, I the, the number, I think, on ESPN was something like 14% of brackets had them. 14%. According to Jenny, our statistician, uh, 0. 0.0... Well, no, 0.4%, is that what it is? 0.04% got, got the final four correct. And okay. uh, wow. as somebody who plans to do this for a living, me not being one of them is kind of sad. That's part of the fun. That's part of the fun, though. Um, so... Uh, kind of just thinking about it on our Sweet 16 and Elite 8 predictions from last week. Um, I'm talking about the Final Four, uh, the championship game, obviously men's baseball continues to just struggle, but changes are coming, according to Mike Martin, uh, enthusiastically coming from Mike Martin. I feel Mike Martin mad is kind of scary. That I obviously didn't get a chance to go to the game, right. but I heard that was not a very pleasant uh, for, post, post-game yeah, press conference. I mean, for such, a, for such a warm and caring individual, when he gets mad, uh, he gets mad. But uh, we'll get into that. Um, about, yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the first weekend of the MLB season in the books, just our first impressions in each division, what we think from the uh, the four or so games that every team has played thus far. is I guess you could call it way too early, but it's not way too early. It's kind of like in the middle. Well, when there's 162 games in a season, yeah, it's a little too early. Marlins but. are going 162. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have a lot to chop through tonight. Let's introduce the panel. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host Chris Camacho, who flew out to Anaheim. For the Sweet 16 game, along with Luke Fay, tell me about that experience, dude. What a what a time! And and uh, well, for me, it was it was a homecoming. So to be able to go home, to be able to have the experience to, uh, you know, go to go to the Honda Center, a, a stadium that I've wanted to go to. That's the, the home of the Ducks. Uh, a lot smaller than you would expect it to be, but the game itself was a lot of fun until it wasn't for Florida State fans. Uh, it was definitely a Gonzaga home game. Obviously, since Gonzaga is in Washington, there were a lot of West Coast people that were at the Honda Center. Um, just a great, great experience to be able to go and cover it. And, you know, we were very thankful to WVFS, uh, Luke and I are, to, to be able to, for them to give us that opportunity to fly out there. It was, it was a good time. And joining us tonight, the producer of Tomahawk Talk, Sebastian Angel Riano, always needs to fit in something about Formula One racing. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you did that. Uh, 
Hello, we've, everyone. We've got to get uh, out. Get got to get it out. If I want to get out of a system, I only did watch three things over the weekend. Only three. Um, well, I, I got a little bit of everything, but uh, two things primarily: uh, the baseball games, of course. I was there. Um, fun Saturday for Florida State fans. Not so fun sat Sunday for Florida State fans when it comes to baseball. And of course, uh, Sunday morning, um, I just had to watch uh, the Grand Prix of Bahrain. Uh, gut wrencher. Actually, just one of the most heartbreaking races I've seen. I've ever seen. Um, you've got a young kid who's just out, um, dominates the entire week, um, first in qualifying, first in uh, first in pre-practice, um, first all the way through the race, and all of a sudden, when it finally seems like it's going to happen in the last ten races, his turbocharger fails. He starts losing like five seconds on every lap. He's caught and passed by uh, first, um, what eventually would be first and second. Um, a team that's ruled uh, Formula One with an iron fist for about five years now. Uh, Mercedes, the big evil guys who managed to make Ferrari look like plucky underdogs. I don't know how you do that. But, uh, you know, just uh, um, a guy in a sophomore year, just uh, first place robbed completely from him. Uh, from no fault of his team, no fault of his own. Just unlucky day, such as life in motorsport. Such as life in motorsport that I know nothing about. But you made it. You made it pretty interesting there. Plucky. Uh, it, was, it was good. Good word choice there. Yeah. I, I don't know how you make the the team with the second largest budget in Formula One, which is like four times, um, like somebody uh, or teams two like rankings down. Uh, they spend they outspend um, other teams by an order of magnitude. I don't know how you make someone, who who is basically the Yankees of motorsport look like like lovable underdogs who just like managed to to have victory snatched away from them in the in the twilight hours of every single race it's i, I don't You're know how you how metrics. you do it that's, that's... i don't i don't know how you do it but somehow mercedes do it and uh, to his right mike peterson have you been you haven't you haven't been on a while welcome I'm back not, to the show yeah watched a ton of baseball this weekend so my brain is literally fried but doing well <laughs> okay well, <laughs> let's hope that let's hope it's not too like, fried. Much like Nick, after a full weekend of watching baseball. Yeah, uh, full week. Well, can can you really complain after it's become every single week? No, I don't know. Can you? I don't think I can. As a baseball fan, he's built up an not, immunity. But I, for you, it's like um from the Princess Bride. I've it's like the Princess Bride where he builds up the immunity to poison. I've built oh up my. an immunity to uh, long baseball How weekends. Dare you. <laughs> Chris Camacho, Sebastian Andriano, Mike Peterson, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which if you didn't already know, is the segment where I take a look at the past week in sports, rip the top stories, and ask our panel about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show, and tonight, Christoph Porzingis is in hot water as reports emerged over the weekend that he was under investigation for allegations of rape that occurred in the back, uh, I think it actually was the earlier side of February of 2018. This was the night that Porzingis tore his ACL playing with the New York Knicks and the accuser has stated that she waited so long to speak up because she was considering money to keep quiet about $68,000. It was later reported today the woman originally wanted an autograph and went into Porzingis's apartment and had a quote-unquote hostile encounter. Porzingis has adamantly denied these claims and are fully cooperating with the negotiation. Guys, this is always rough to talk about. Uh, it's hard to say what is true and what is not true. Uh, just give me your take on the situation as well as your thoughts on the Mavericks who traded for Porzingis uh, before the trade uh, the trade deadline. The Mavericks knew about these allegations. What does it say about Mark Cuban and that organization knowing that these allegations were at hand? Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, well, you know, for starters, I, I think it's it's important to state that as as reporters and as journalists, you know, like like you said, we don't know for sure what happened, and it's not on it's honestly not our job 
to make that decision. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see what comes out out of the investigations. But just, you know, off the top, I, I think for an organization like the Mavericks, and especially for someone like Mark Cuban, who in the past, last year, he was dealing with a lot with uh, sexual assault allegations within uh, the Mavericks organization. And and it's just, I think it's, I don't know if you want to call it a, a publicity stunt on, on, in regards for the Mavericks and then bringing Kristaps over, you know, it, but it's, it's, if you know about those allegations, you better be prepared to fight that or be prepared to at least take on the battle that comes with that. Um, and I, I just, I don't entirely know what went into that and, and what their plan of approach is. Although I will give them credit. They have followed all the steps that they've needed to do. They've reported it to the national basketball association. They've, you know, they've been in contact with the, uh, with the women's legal team. If, if, if that's what you would call it, I guess, but they've, I've, I think the Mavericks have followed, they've done, they followed the due process to the best of their ability. Sebastian. I mean, it's, I 100% agree with Chris. Um, it's an investigation. Um, it is not our job to, to determine who is right, who's wrong. That is for uh, the justice system and investigators to to go ahead and do. Um, that being said, um, innocent until proven guilty is something that we treasure here in the United States. Um, so let's just let's wait and see. Um, it is a let me just say that it is an utterly bizarre case. Uh, there are just so many weird details. That, that are a part of the story that just make you double check the date uh, to make sure that it's not April Fools and we're, we're still we're still going through this and let's let's just this is a serious thing um, but it's just it's so weird it is a weird it is a weird case I'm not saying that anybody is is lying or anything on either side um, I'm just saying it is it is bizarre um, the money the the speci- the oddly specific money value. Um, that that this um, individual requested from Porzingis. The the money was uh, to be donated to uh, brothers. I don't know if it was the, a college fund correct. or uh, was, of some kind. Tuition, so sixty eight thousand maybe is not as weird of a number as it would uh, oh, without okay. that without okay. that knowledge. Right. Um, I mean, I have a quote here from I, I believe this is an ESPN article. Um, quote in the handwritten letter that she described as a contractual agreement with Porzingis for payment of sixty eight thousand dollars. Um, a copy of which was obtained by ESPN. Porzingis's name is misspelled, and it is unclear whether the signature belongs to him. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's just like that's kind of weird. And on the other hand, uh, I mean, if it's if it's faked, that's forgery, and that is very very illegal. Um, but you know, like at the end of the day, we'll, let's see. Let's just see. I don't know yet. Mike, uh, I just think it's a completely uh, very messy situation for on both sides. And uh, the way the Mavericks are handling it, they're uh, saying it's not going to affect his practice time at all. Uh, but uh, head coach Rick Carlisle says that Porzingis is, you know, um, totally at liberty to take time away from the team if possible. Yeah, this this is a very very weird situation because the details are kind of, I don't, and again, it's not our job as reporters to say what is and what isn't, but the details are kind of messy, yeah, um, and and really kind of head scratching. Uh, the fact that he tore his ACL literally hours before this alleged uh, event happened kind of is is very. I mean, I, I guess that Porzingis is a very strong individual physically, but I have never had my ACL torn before. I would imagine that you would probably want to have that treated and checked out before any of that happened. The fact that, uh, the, that it's coming out now, the fact that it's $68,000, it, it's just very weird. 
And uh, I think the fact that it's so weird and it doesn't it uh, it doesn't quite add up in all the right ways for a lot of people. I think that's the reason why the Mavericks were so okay with signing off on the Porzingis trade. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it looks best on the Mavericks side because they've gone through due process. If they've done what they needed to do, I think it if you're cooperating to the best of your abilities and you've done what's required of you, I I think it shows that there's less to hide, but again, you don't know how well uh, these organizations have so much money, have so much power. You you don't know how well covered up things could be either right so that was the off the top segment sponsored by me brought to you by me answered by our panel uh really kind of a sad week in florida state sports uh especially for the basketball team really just not how that ended we'll get into that on the uh the latter half of the show but as far as uh, men's baseball is concerned uh last week's show uh you know they they had a better i said they had a better week at notre dame or, or uh, facing against Notre Dame. But looking at the week ahead, you know, you saw that uh, there was another Florida game, second game of the, uh, the Sunshine Series. Mm-hmm. And we all were kind of in agreement that Florida State had the danger uh, to potentially fall into another extremely bad drought if uh, they were beaten in the same manner that they were the previous matchup this season. They weren't. It was a bit of a closer game. I think 4-2 to two was the final score. 4-3. to 4-3. Three. Four to three. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You were right initially. It was 4-2. Four four to two. Two. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought it was right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet still, Florida State has still kind of found themselves in another really bad slump. They've dropped two. Uh, uh, out of three this weekend at Boston College, Chris. And as I said at the opening of the show, Mike Martin is looking to make some serious changes. Absolutely. Well, I think you see tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, J.C. Flowers was announced as as the starter for tomorrow's game against Jacksonville at home. You know, you you maybe think for for the Tampa Bay Ray fans out there, you know, thinking potentially opener situation where J.C. will go two, maybe three innings and then go to the bullpen again. Um, no major changes though, uh, definitely need need to be in the works because in looking, uh, if I'm not mistaken, especially defensively, the issue is there's not much depth at the positional, on the positional side of things for Florida State. You look at shortstop, you got Nander DeSantis who's tied with Drew Mendoza for the most errors committed on the team at six errors each. Um, you know DeSantis is a young guy. You, you only hope that with more experience, that'll build up. But Florida State still continues a streak of committing errors. If I'm not mistaken, they've committed at least one error in every game since win 2000 against Virginia Tech. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And in, in looking at the run total run scored, uh, Florida State pitching has allowed 147 runs. Two, 22 of those, however, are unearned. And a lot of those have come in those weeks since. So it, it's it's a lot of defensive changes that need to uh, that need to come. Nick, Nick, let me ask you a question real quick. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to focus on two games uh, specifically because those are the two games that I saw in person. Um, those are the Saturday game, which was a uh, win for Florida State, four uh, three, um, and a the Sunday game, which was a eight zero loss um, for 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 Florida State right. against BC. So let's just, um, for Florida State fans, let's focus on, on the positive one outcome, which was the 4-3 win. Um, so 4-3, to three, how many runs do you think Florida State had? And how many runs do you think, uh, I'm, no, I'm excuse me, hits. How many hits do you think Boston College had, and how many hits do you think Florida State had? If I remember correctly, Boston, uh, Boston College had a lot more hits than Florida State. I want to say it was in the double digits where Florida State only really had, I think, maybe four or five. You're correct. Uh, it was 11-4. to four. 
Oh. So. Uh-huh. Um, See, I was paying attention this and, weekend. And, and, and like, and that's not even. Just, I mean, so if we're looking at the negative, it's it's same same the same exact story. BC fifteen hits. Florida State four. Um, now none of those runs translated. Um, from from what I saw, it was a lot of just leaving men stranded. Leaving yeah. men stranded. Um, there was just no no and you can see it. There's no no conversion. And that was definitely, I think, one of the major reasons for the loss in the in the Friday matchup as well as men left on base. Uh, but going back to the pitching, I think it's really curious that you bring that up because the pitching was actually probably at least the starting pitching starting rather pitching. the starting pitcher rather was probably one of the better things to come out of this weekend mm-hmm. when you take a look at the weekend as a whole. Uh, Shane Dronehan, he think he threw like 92 pitches. He went. Really, really far into the six, game. Uh, he, six innings. Uh, six no, a five, innings. A five, a five and uh, two thirds oh, innings. Both, both um, games were, were scoreless to the sixth. But uh, six hits, no earned runs, only two uh, bases on balls, uh, eight strikeouts. So he's he's shown once again that he does have some really nice stuff. Uh, but the pitch count again got extremely high for him. And then of course, uh, 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 Drohan was the starter on Sunday, and then C.J. Van Eyck had a, a, a six inning uh, outing uh, in the Saturday game, which really kept them. Uh, in that, and eventually, I think, really, uh, along with um, uh, Jonas Calaro, he they really were able to get that victory. So when you bring up pitching, and you, Mike, you hear that J.C. Flowers is potentially starting in this Tuesday matchup against Jacksonville, wet, but the starting pitching has been pretty strong this past weekend. What do you think that Mike Martin is really just trying to get out of Flowers in this outing? I think, uh, like, kind of what Chris said, kind of as an opener, get maybe six, maybe nine outs. Um, he definitely doesn't show a lot of confidence in his bullpen, especially Connor Grady and uh, even Clayton Kwiatkowski had a tough outing. Um, so I think it's a wake-up call to the team. Uh, they should not have dropped the series to Boston College. Um, and, yeah, just trying to rally the, the troops, I guess. So when you take a look at what Flowers is going to be doing in this story, every, everybody thinks maybe that it's going to be the first three innings. Who Who is going to be that person? I think this is probably extremely important for this baseball team. Who is the person, uh, Chris, that you think Mike Martin calls on to uh, kind of get Florida State through those middle innings? Because it is those middle innings that have been really uh, detrimental to Florida State. Are you talking about out of the bullpen? Out like, of the bullpen. It, it's the it's been yeah it's been the middle and kind of just the late innings and really just the the bullpen that's been dragging Florida State down as of late. The Sardi pitching has really improved. So well, if 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 we're going based off recent history, you might you maybe go with Jonas Scalaro, who who as you know Sebastian mentioned was able to to help keep Florida State in that game on Saturday. He went three innings, gave up four hits, two runs, but only one of them was earned. It, it's again, I th- I think. I think Florida State, uh, yes, pitching has been an issue, but it's it's really been a defense in general. So if the defense can keep it together, if if they can limit the errors, keep the uh, essentially it's helping the pitchers out because that's that I, I talked about this last week. It's if if you can't keep things defensively sound, if if you put your pitcher in these tough defensive situations, it, it's only going to get to them mentally. So I, I think Jonas Scalaro did a did a decent job again, finished off the game. Uh, and I, I could see him maybe going another three innings following J.C. Flowers. And it's really interesting to see what Martin is going to do with the pieces that he has. Um, Tim Becker, who's a walk-on uh, for for the team, he was actually the winning run in that game uh, on Saturday, and it was his first start uh, as a Florida State Seminole, which is a pretty cool story. Um, his first start is starting for Reese Elbert in right field, and uh, – you know, he he tore his ACL in high school. He had injuries throughout his time at Palm Beach State and uh, out the, the time on the uh, Florida State uh, club team. 
And so he does have some kind of niche pieces that could really um, develop themselves and really prove to be beneficial. But, uh, Sebastian, like you were saying, it's really not going to help much when you just can't bat runners in, and that's really become one of the nagging problems for this baseball team. And that's what Mike Martin said in his postgame press conference on Saturday. Uh, he told me, we just need to do a better job at selecting pitches. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you you just look at the 8-0 loss, the, the, the 3-4 loss, and you, you see – the eight four loss. Uh, the eight loss was was a hard watch for anyone, really. Not not just Florida State fans. Uh, Drew Mendoza going zero four. Robbie Martin going one and four. Um, Sadas going one and two. Like these are these are guys that were rock solid in February. These are guys who um, were rock solid last year, um, and they're, they're the bats are just quiet. And um, uh, pitching can can give you six innings to work with. Um, six scoreless innings to work with, but if you cannot convert, um, then there's there's really nothing they can do. I agree that pitching is an issue, but it's it's more of like a it's a balanced issue really. It's about everybody has an issue, whether it's uh, infield defense, um, because we we did see over the weekend a lot of balls um, going like sneaking their way into the outfield from after a couple bounces in the infield, um, uh, especially around in in the the area involved. On third, basically, um, Mendoza was honestly not. I, I saw a lot of balls get past Mendoza on um, on Sunday, absolutely. But um, it's just uh, the bats have to do something eventually. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at their at their season stat sheet right now. Florida State has left 255 men on base in 27 games, and that comes out Jeez. to an, on average every game they're leaving about 9.4 men on base. It's a lot of runs. Yeah, I just think it's also the law of averages. We came into the season, especially in February, very hot, scoring a lot of runs, dominating. And, you know, now we're hitting a dry spell, but I would rather hap it happen now than compared to postseason time or even later in the season into May and June. Do you think it's a question of effort, Mike? Because I don't, I don't think that um, – I, or rather, I do think that the kind of the, – the, the gas has been let off a little bit uh, since the, the, the 2000th win. Do you feel that in any way? Do you think it's an effort problem, or do you think that it's just a young team? I think it's just a young team. Um, I mean, it's easy to settle in also, I think, especially after the 2000s win. But you come into the season you know, ranked in the top ten, a lot of hypes on you. You've got you know, a good recruiting class. Um, I think now is where they're going to really show their grit and show what they're made of. And I think that's the message Mike Martin was trying to send. So uh, Florida State, of course, faces Jacksonville tomorrow. That's a home game at 6 p.m., and then they travel to Coral Gables to take on the Miami Hurricanes, who, uh, uh, for all you um, timed and, and weathered Florida State fans, you know how that series normally goes. But the way that uh, this, se this season has gone so far for Florida State, this could be a very pivotal, se uh, pivotal series for them, especially uh, being on the road, uh, you know, Florida State, uh, now getting into kind of that, that – uh, Series at home, series away. Uh, they really need Back to grab. Yeah, right? they really need to grab one. I think away here. Uh, they at least need to come out two for one in this series. Well, I think because it, then you go to then you go to Gainesville again for the for no, the final. No, no. no, that's in Tallahassee next week. Oh, right. And that, again. that's that's what I was going to get to. Yes. Is, is you're facing Florida for the third time this season within the span of uh, how long has it been? Three weeks. Three. I think it's been a, about a game a week. Right. Right. Well, about a game every other week or so. Mm -hmm. Um. And and. I think this is definitely the time where this Florida State team needs to. I I, I agree. They need to grip down. Bats. Need, there needs to be some adjustments at the plate. You can't be leaving nine, nine point four men on base, 
Uh, that's again, it's putting these pitchers in these tough situations, uh, especially against a tough Florida team that has just had your number for the past three or four seasons. Do you think when it comes to the batting lineup, Chris, do you think it's a matter of s- simply moving somebody up and down the order, or do you think that somebody else is going to completely come in and get a couple of starts? Well, I mean, I, th- I think the lineup has, has worked for them for the most part. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Mike Salvatore on base percentage is 423. That's, that's one of the best uh, in the lineup. And obviously that's what you want out of, out of a leadoff hitter. You want somebody, one who's going to take, who's going to go deep into the count with the pitchers, you know, give, uh, give the guys after you a chance to see what this pitcher's got. And then obviously someone who, who will get off base, who will get on base. Uh, Mendoza has been hitting in what the three, four spot and roughly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, that's, you have the pieces in place. It's just not connecting for them. But it, that's that's something that's really hard to see when you're when they're playing a team like Boston College, a team that is beatable, that that Florida State should be beating. But it's just it's not happening. It, you know, and maybe maybe that is where it needs to come into place. It is is Mike Martin needs to make those lineup adjustments. It's just it's a matter of. I I honestly like I haven't been able I haven't been in town the last two or three weeks to really. Watch this team, see you know, give the eye test, um, and see who's hitting well and who isn't. Um, but you know, maybe there are some offensive changes that need to come around. If if um, if this BC series has not been a wake up call for the Florida State Seminoles, um, the Miami series definitely will, um, because Boston College is um, maybe last in in the ACC standings. But um, I think that I think they were entering the series. They, but, they were. But they were. Maybe, they were, maybe they were four I think and seven going into the final game of the series. Um, Florida State uh, baseball is now six and six in ACC play, um, and if the slide continues, they they are very likely to be six and nine. Um, that is that is not great. I'm going for even think considering uh, a college world series run, um, which honestly seems very very far away from from where we are right now. Um, February was great. But February reminded me of whenever I do well in the first month of a class, uh, get a couple A's, maybe on a, an A on an exam or something, and then just completely relax and have to. <laughs> so you mean after a syllabus week? Uh, <laughs> I feel attacked. Yeah, um, no, I'm saying me too, bud. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but um, but yeah, I mean there has to be, and it's only when I really see that that when it becomes a C or a D that I really go, oh my gosh, I I need to get my uh, my butt back in gear. Um, and um, hopefully uh, the changes that Mike Martin... I was at both press conferences and the Sunday press conference. I remember seeing a tweet coming out of that saying, I've never seen uh, Mike Martin uh, so mad at a press conference. He didn't look mad. He just looked a little fed up. Um, but maybe that's just how Mike Martin is. You know, he's not one to get shouting, yelling mad. He's just like, there will be change. There has to be change. There will be change. Mike, if you recall last season, Florida State had a, had a pretty similar start. They started off, I believe, I think either 14 and 0 or 12 and 0 something they start they I mean they breeze through non-conference play very similar to this season they dropped 4 out of 5 to start conference play last season and it's really kind of scarily similar how these two teams have worked out so knowing how last season ended up and seeing how this season has begun to shape up where how you just I don't want to ask for your confidence level because I think overall everybody's kind of just like geez what's going on this team has completely flip-flopped in the past couple of of, of weeks but do you see Florida State taking a similar path throughout the rest of the season, or do you think that this is really just a sign of things to come? Uh, I do think so. I think I see a lot of similarities between this year and last year. Uh, going back on what Chris said, I think it's it's not a matter of them not getting on base, but it's a matter of uh, production and clutch hitting um, with runners on 
in scoring position. So, uh, yeah, I guess the to quote Aaron Rodgers, relax um, <laughs> and just yeah, this is the dog days of April, and you know we won the ACC tournament last year, and uh, I think we'll make another good run. So uh, we are going uh, to take a short break here. We are about halfway through the show. Uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds, and we'll have Brett Rutherford with the uh, the time-honored tradition, the Seminole segment. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you after the break. Good evening, this is the Seminole segment. I'm Brett Rutherford, and here is everything you need to know to be caught up in the world of Seminole sports. The Florida State women's tennis team continued their successful 2019 campaign with a victory against Clemson this past weekend. The win puts the team in fourth place in the ACC and only two matches behind North Carolina, who were undefeated in conference play. Sophomore Petra Hewell from Adelaide, Australia, shined on the weekend with wins in both her singles and doubles matches. She is paired with junior Andrea Garcia from Spain for doubles, and the two of them won the match that sealed the deal for Florida State. This coming weekend, the Seminoles travel to the Carolinas for matches against UNC and NC State. Megan King and the defending national champion Florida State softball team completed a three-game sweep of the Virginia Cavaliers this past weekend. Coach Lonnie Alameda's squad is now 35-3 on the season and 8-1 in conference play, which is good for first place in the Atlantic Division of the ACC. The offensive barrage continued from the Seminoles lineup as they scored 35 runs across three games. They are fifth in the nation in home runs per game and third in slugging percentage. The star of the show, though, was ace pitcher Megan King, picking up two wins in the series opener and finale and giving up no runs. She is now 18-1 on the season. On Wednesday night, Florida State hits the road to play their in-state rivals, the Florida Gators, in Gainesville. First pitch is scheduled for 7 o'clock. 
Patrick Butkovich, sophomore at Florida State on the swim team, was on his way back to Tallahassee today after a trip to Panama City on Sunday to help with the cleanup of the damage caused by Hurricane Michael last October. He was accompanied by almost 40 other student-athletes from Florida State. Hurricane Michael was the strongest storm that the Florida Panhandle has ever seen. Janarius Robinson, defensive end for the Florida State football team, was along for the trip. He lost his home in the storm last fall. Chad McGuire, a Florida State swimmer also from Panama City, said that he was glad they did their part, but that there's still work to be done. This has been the Seminole segment with Brett Rutherford. Now back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Thank you so much, Brett, for the uh, time-honored tradition uh, Seminole segment. Uh, wonderful job, as always. So, uh, on the other side of the break, we finished up talking about Florida State baseball, uh, the the ending of March that they've been having and what you can expect uh, the next couple of weeks as they have a very, very crucial series, at least in my opinion. I think Chris agrees with me uh, at Coral Gables against Miami and then facing against the Gators at home. Uh, so, that's the third matchup this season. And it just seems like, especially with this season, whenever the Gators uh, and the Seminoles match up, it just really derails the Seminoles in some uh, form or fashion. But uh, moving on, just and normally I don't think I would have covered this, but I just thought it was extremely interesting. I saw an interview with uh, James Blackman today uh, talking about Alex Hornibrook and the, the circumstances and I, I guess the... I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find the word here, but just, I guess the, situ the situation uh, that is going to happen when it comes to spring ball, of course, uh, the spring game is this weekend, mm -hmm. um, and he was commenting on uh, the transfer of Hornibrook, and he basically said, whatever helps me, uh, whatever helps the team, I'm up for. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that, Chris. To, to, on, on Blackman's... On Blackman's comments. You know, I think it's interesting, because I, I, I think that really speaks to Blackman as a leader. On this team I know he wants that starting quarterback position I know he wants it bad but at the same time you you see the willingness in him and the drive to do whatever's best for the team and I think that speaks to the true leadership that he's demonstrated even when even when he was on the the bench last season to, to Francois you know one of the things that we always said was he's always the guy on the bench that is hyping up the team that is getting the team ready um, I, I, I think it just speaks to the great leadership qualities that he has Mike what do you think about that well, coming from an athlete's point of view, just I feel like that's... Is it what it's, needed to be said? Yes. It's one of those things that you don't really mean at heart, but it's going to please the media and it's a good answer. It's a good soundbite. Um, but I think, obviously, the competitor in James Blackman, you know, has this drive uh, in himself, knowing that he's going to, you know, have the job. Uh, just theoretically speaking, assuming maybe that Hornibrook gets the job over Blackman, how do you how do you think that would affect him, um, especially with the situation that Florida State there's not that many quarterbacks uh, on roster? Right, I think that puts him in a bind because pretty much last year he was redshirted uh, with the whole Francois situation and you know could have played, but they ended up holding him out some games in order to for him to get the red shirt. So I think it's a matter of honestly it would kill his confidence as well because Hornibrook's it's going to be a one year thing and by then Blackman will be a junior. And I just I would say transfer, but there's no one else besides him, though. Yeah. Well, not that that's necessarily going to stop him. I mean, yeah, it, it would put Florida State in a bind, but at the same time, I, I you know you can't blame a guy. That would be so. really rough to see because I think Blackman deep down really does love the school, 
Um, I think mm -hmm. you see it in the way that he presents his stuff. As much as Mike brings up a very interesting point on maybe that is the answer that we're looking for and we want to hear, um, I think he does love this school. And I would obviously this is a long ways away at this point, but I would be surprised if he's not the starter. Um, Absolutely, I, I agree. I mean, it, it, this dude, well, um, his counterpart has only been here for less than a year. Um, he has not seen um, play for the uh, for Florida State. Um, if he does get the nod over over Blackman, uh, I, the only reaction from him could would be like, guys, come on, I've been here forever. Mm -hmm. I've been here, I've been part of this organization forever. I've seen not one but two systems, and I'm fully accustomed to both of those systems. Um, I have all the criteria that you'd ever want from a starting QB. Um, uh, I know I am, I, like, what, what else do you want what, what do you what, what basically else do you want what from what him? what else can I do yeah what else Sebastian's can I do Sebastian's lining up to be his uh to be his agent right now I yeah. feel the fire coming I feel from the him. fire <laughs> sign him up <laughs> um, <laughs> to to be denied in that way would be immensely frustrating for someone in that position and honestly as a as someone who's seen him for for now 2 years um it would be kind of exasperating um it would be a massive gamble from from Taggart, who's already um, who we've uh, we here at the station have kind of discussed is not not the the heat the seat is not flaming hot, but it's 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 a it's a light singe, you know. Um, <laughs> well, uh, he, he, you know, he burnt his thumb lighting a lighting a candle or something. Yeah, yeah, that, like that type it's, of hot. it's not yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> taking a gamble on on a new guy like that is is. Is uh, would be bizarre, and if it doesn't pay off, then that would be that he would be crucified for that, frankly. So we were able to put it off for about 40 minutes, uh, but just let's let's rip off the bandaid here. Uh, Florida State falling to Gonzaga in the Sweet 16, uh, something that um, I figured was going to happen. Um, I think I was one of the few. Uh, did you predict with me that Florida State was going to lose this game? Uh, uh, you know, I think I had. Some faith in the Seminoles. I honestly don't remember. Well, which, I mean, which... it's not necessarily a matter of faith. No, I think, no, I think, I, I think it. This was definitely just a poor ending to probably one of the best seasons in yeah. program history. Um, of course, there is so many what if questions. If Nichols was there and healthy, if Kofer mm -hmm. wasn't going through what he was going through, how the Seminoles would have performed. But just looking at the stats and the way that this game played out. You're not going to beat many teams shooting three for twenty from three point range, Chris. No, absolutely not. That was, I think, that was one of the biggest hindrances to this team was their inability to shoot from beyond the arc. In, in addition, you also look at a guy like Kevin Gelly, you know, who who normally has been the the leading point scorer for the Seminoles. Um, the, he just was not getting. The, I I think I think Gonzaga had the paint locked up pretty well. They they guarded him extremely well. Um, ultimately, it came down to Trent Forrest having to having to control the game in the second half. Yeah, Trent Forrest said, "Get on my back, um, put everybody in the backpack." Uh, Mike, no, seeing what Forrest, uh, Forrest, what Forrest was able to do uh, for Florida State in the, in this in this game, knowing that he could potentially and probably will come back next year, how does that make you feel about next year's team with how the heartbreak that they've suffered at the end of this season? It gives me a, a good outlook, honestly, having Trent Forrest come back. Uh, I think we're still retaining a solid core. Um, but going back to the game, I just think uh, when you when Terrence Mann is your best player, so-called, on the court, and he shoots one for eight, and you turn the ball over 14 times, like Chris said, you're not going to win many games that way. 
Uh, so Sebastian, of course, Mike just mentioned Terrence Mann, and uh, there are a few other seniors that are departing. Of course, Kofer is departing. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, I think everybody at Florida State hopes to the next level. Um, some people I have no reason why to think that they won't. I think they'll um, be fine. At what what is obviously this is extremely successful recruiting class for Leonard Hamilton and Florida State. What mm-hmm. in in I guess in one sentence in your mind describes the legacy that this recruiting class has left on this team or left at the school they were slept on but they delivered um florida state is not a as much as we like to meme about it florida state um is, was is not a basketball school and um the fact that they still del- they have they delivered last year and they delivered this year i believe um Expectations were exceeded both years, I believe. Uh, maybe, maybe not so much. Expectations were met. Let's call it this year. Um, most people expected at least a Sweet Sixteen appearance. Um, last year, though, complete over overproduction when it comes to uh, expectations. Um, I, I I think they have a fine legacy, one of the finer legacies um, of any class here at uh, Florida State. And that was also a class that had, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan Isaac on it as well, mm-hmm. who plays for the Orlando Magic. Two, no, that was, that was two oh, years ago. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, and it's also an interesting point that, that actually Luke Fay, who's in the studio with us right now, tweeted about was uh, – Talking about how much you don't realize how much not having a guy like Obiagu and uh, and CJ Walker on the team like that, I thought I thought that was interesting because I think if you if you keep a guy like Obiagu on there, uh, if you I, ha- if you have Walker and Obiagu on this team, I think it's final four. Uh, final four is literally the floor. And I think Luke, I think a championship would be would be really ideal. Just seeing how this team played out. Of course, minutes will be minutes, and they have to be distributed accordingly. But um, Luke Fay is here with some shades that I don't know where he got those. Cloud goggles. Um, but um, no, no, you're you're right in that. And let's let's look back on last year's Florida State team that went to the Elite Eight. What was the one thing that they talked about um, for other teams matching up against? What was the one thing that Florida State's team had? Depth, length. And depth. Length. Length and depth. And so you lose Obiagu, who, um, as a freshman, I think he had the, the Florida State record for blocks in a year. Um, you yeah. lose him, and that's a huge defensive presence. Now, I think he was only averaging three or four points a game. But just that in itself is going to go, and you're going to slide out Kumaji. But just going and looking back at the game, the real problem was you did not have a backup point guard. And so Terrence Mann is not a point guard. Um Polite is awful. He's not a he's not a Florida State caliber basketball player, in in himself. Wow. Um. So, you look at the game and Trent Forrest carried this team, and Terrence Mann truly as a Florida State guy, he's a good player, but he is not a number two guy at Florida State. He is the third or fourth option on a team, and when he's called upon to be the one, the number one option, he struggles, and that's what he was at the beginning. If you remember when Kofor went down at the beginning of the year why Terrence Mann was playing so poorly he was he was the number two option number you know number one option um he's not comfortable in that situation you thought that that dunk was going to light a fire underneath Florida State it did not and I go back to that locker room and this this was the point I was going to make you you go and look at it Nick no one scored in double figures other than Trent Forrest no one um Kevin Gelly correct me if I'm wrong I don't 
know how many points he had in the second he had, half. He had, oh, how many did he have in the second half? Oh, in the second half, I don't know, but he had eight overall, and that was tied with second most uh, with Kamaji. But other than that, Forrest had 20, and he pretty much blew the rest of Florida State out of the water. Yeah, I think I think uh, Kevin Gelly might have had, like, either way, even if you only have four points in the, in the <laughs> second half, it's not very good. And so you look at that locker room, and Chris, when, when we were in it, mm-hmm. it, it just draining. I, I had a couple yeah. of friends who were team managers there, and we were looking at each other, but we weren't acknowledging each other because we knew the situation. And every single player that they interviewed was embarrassed by their play. They knew that my argument is Trent Forrest had the greatest game of his Florida State career. I would and agree. every single other player on that team had the worst game of their career. Every single other player. And so you, you look at the interviews and they all go, they're all just so disappointed in their own play. But they go and say, you know, if we – Trent played amazing today, and we just couldn't we couldn't do it without him. And Florida State would have gotten beat by thirty if Trent Forrest is on the floor. Um, and you got You got to hang. You they say hold your head high, but everyone was hanging their head low because they knew that they were this close away from having something special and losing some of those players and well, everything what, that what, happened. What's it even hurts. crazier is, is is like you still see the leadership on this team because you know. I, so when when we first got to the locker room, it was every everybody in the team swollen eyes everybody's everybody's just really down it was a really solemn solemn environment does it doesn't compare at all to the the locker room after the loss to miami for the worse. football team for it the, was worse it was worse because you had a couple of players crying in the miami one yeah. every single one of those players was crying and knew that that Florida state's not going to get another team like right exactly no i agree and it, it was i think it goes back to what you said luke it's it's they were embarrassed i i think they were really embarrassed. this is pro- yeah. this was Gonzaga was probably the easiest one seed to beat. That was that was the t- if you were gonna do if Florida State was gonna do it against any team. I I, I disagree with that statement, but continue. Either I I think Florida State still would have had a chance if you would have had Trent Forrest, if if Vassal would have maybe put up a few more points. If you have Terrence Mann, Vassal, and Trent Forrest work banging on all cylinders, I think this is this game would have been a lot closer, and Florida State might even have been able to pull up the upset. So hearing all of that, Mike and Sebastian, knowing what the the locker room was like after the game, knowing what the potential of this team was, um, I asked, I th- I don't I don't know if it was this the the two hour special or if it was the week before or no I think the week before was spring break so it must have been the it two, was hour, two special. hour special. You guys I asked I asked I believe I asked um if people were satisfied with the Sweet Sixteen if you know the fact that back to back Sweet Sixteen was enough to validate how good this team was um so to you mike and sebastian do you feel like sweet 16 was enough knowing what this team could have been i think in any other year for florida state i'd say yes but knowing the caliber of this team i'd say it was a letdown especially with a perhaps even better roster against the same team of gonzaga i think we're going to actually disagree with that i think it um i as a spectator am stated with um how back with back-to-back 16s getting to the sweet 16 is hard getting to the sweet 16 two years in a row um outside of being a blue blood is also hard um going up against gonzaga two years in a row is hard um yes um you can bemoan and wonder about what could have been um three and 20 from beyond the arc is never going to cut it any game ever doesn't matter who you're playing um but um you know you just at this point there's only one thing you really can do. It's sit back, um, laugh at your own bracket, and watch the fire <laughs> rise uh, for next weekend for the Final Four. 
So Nick, I, I have a question for you. Sure. This this was the 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 greatest Florida State team that that they've ever had, just going off of wins and, and whatnot. Now they didn't make the Elite Eight, but what does what does Leonard Hamilton need to have these uh, the same team next year, like the same amount of talent wise, or be better um, than what they had this year? Because they had what what do they need? Pointers. Well, point guards, but my mind immediately just goes to you need to have another three-point shooter. P.J. Savoy was wildly inconsistent all year. You don't have Brian Angola anymore coming back from last year's team. You need to have somebody that can shoot the ball because the recipe for beating Florida State was always pretty clear. If you could prevent them from going inside and you force them to take jump shots, it's a very, very beatable team. But the problem is is that, you know, Cabin Gelly and Kamaji, more so Cabin Gelly than Kamaji, were really outstanding pretty much all season. So, Luke, I guess really just, I don't know if it's the easy answer, I don't, but I think it's the right answer. Hamilton needs just some help offensively. The defense has been great the past two or three seasons. You need to score the basketball in order to win, and that's, I know the saying in most sports is defense wins championships, but in basketball, I think more so than other other sports, you just need to score the darn ball. Chris, is is this going to be one of those like teams that you look back on and say, this was as good as Florida State basketball was ever going to get? I, th- I think if everyone's healthy, absolutely. I think if you would have had, I think if, well, obviously with Cover it's different because not only is it an injury, but of course the loss of his father. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you also have uh, David Nichols on the court as well, that, that changes things up too. I think I think if you have a healthy Cover and Nichols, you maybe make it to the, to the final four. What, what I'm saying though is do you think that, Florida State will ever reach what they have in the last two years? Well, have they peaked? Have they peaked as a program? I don't think they have peaked as a program because I, I I forget who said it earlier. You know, Florida State. Oh, Sebastian, you said it, it's not Florida State's not necessarily a basketball school, but I think they've shown a resurgence. In, I don't even know if it's a, res, a resurgence, but they've shown that they're a serious contender. Every like the past, especially the past two years, that Florida State basketball has shown that they can go deep into a tournament, and I think that puts them in a better light when it comes to recruiting. So I think, you know, you've got top-tier talented basketball recruits looking at Florida State as a possible uh, destination. Uh, of course, it doesn't help when Anthony Edwards chooses Georgia over Florida State, but... For a can bag, of Pringles. Bag. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it opens up the door for more recruits to start looking and say, hey, let's let's look at what Coach Ham has to offer. So I want to... Hang on. Um, I want to close out my, uh, my statement with uh, I know I did say at the beginning of this that uh, Florida State is not a basketball school, but um, I do have to take my hat off to everybody in that uh, organization with the doom and gloom that you've seen on campus uh, from the football woes, the uncertainty of last year, and, uh, well, the chaos of this year. Um, the the basketball program at Florida State has been a rock for um, its campus and the students around it and just um, the greater uh, Florida State family uh, across the country. And in a sense, the the school has very much become a basketball school in that sense until football until football until football rolls around in which case we're we're it's let's all go down the doke and then there were four uh texas tech michigan state auburn virginia 
Chris, your general thoughts. I mean, you were out there uh, in California, so obviously you saw a few games, but you I don't know if you've caught up on everything else. Um, how are you feeling about this Final Four, and how does this change your champion at all? I think you had Michigan State, I so I don't, I don't think State. it affects you all that much. I'm, I'm a win um, away. One win away. As long as Michigan State uh, can beat Texas Tech, I, I will win at least in one of my brackets. I'm just going to give you it because we both thought Michigan State was going to beat Duke, Woo! and we were right. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to be happy about that one. Um <laughs> Well, listen, I, I think, you know, again, as I said at the beginning of the show, I don't think anybody expected Texas Tech to be in the Final Four. Granted, I, I you know, and, and I, I told Luke this, too, after after Texas Tech took down uh, Gonzaga, I'd like to think that if Florida State had advanced, that they would have beaten Texas Tech. But I think, I think you know, the, the, the Raiders, Red Raiders? The Red Raiders. I think the Red Raiders have shown you know that they're that they're in it to win it granted i don't know that they'll make it past michigan state i think your final uh will be michigan state and auburn really and yeah. auburn I, I i believe in auburn as well um i would ask you sebastian and mike but i did want to talk about uh a little bit of major league baseball it yes. was it was well, thanks bud yeah um <laughs> throwing us a bone out here maybe maybe next year if uh next okay. april fools we can talk about hockey huh? <laughs> okay well don't get your hope well i'm not going to be hosting next oh, year no, so yeah. um rub my hands audience okay well maybe somebody <laughs> will find uh, somebody will find hockey I, I'm, I'm kidding hockey is a very entertaining sport but um I don't definitely not the mainstream, especially because Florida State doesn't have a hockey team. If Florida State had a hockey uh, and team, they have a hockey club. They have a, they have a hockey club, uh, an actual hockey and, team, and and a field hockey club for the ladies. Okay, oh, let, <laughs> all right. Let's let's meet Sebastian's <laughs> mic real quick. Um, just I, I I asked at the beginning of the show. Uh, I wanted you all to go through the divisions, take a look at the first four uh, or so games that have been played for each team thus far, and give me just your blanket statement take on the weekend that that division had. So uh, starting with the AL East, Chris, what do you think? AL East, well, you know, you've got the Yankees. <laughs> you have the team that's predicted to win the World Series. Cats and dogs living okay. with each other. It is chaos against, down in the East. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think it's, I think uh, the Rays have shown that they've got a formula that's working for them. I, I, I think the, the series between the Yankees and the Orioles was a fluke to go back to that. Um, you know, just a just a good start for them. But uh, it, it, I think just all around the league in general, you you've got some pretty topsy turvy scores and some things that you didn't expect. Mike, yeah, uh, ten of the New York Yankees uh, are on the injured list already at the beginning of the season, including Giancarlo Stanton. So that certainly played a factor. Sebastian, um, I just want to point out the uh, the Mariners are somehow five on one um, on these standings. Well, they um, did. They did. They were playing earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah, they did play in, the, in Japan. That's right. Uh, I completely forgot about that. But um, you know, that is a that is a market that has long been starved for for season long success. So I wish them nothing but the best, really. Um, and it sounds like homering, but honestly, I, I don't really keep up with the AL West um, until uh, let's let's call it late June, late <laughs> July. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, uh, another thing to note, um, at least, um, Atlanta going 0-3. Yeah. Uh, they did not look spectacular, to say yeah, the and, least. And listen, they're, they're playing against, I'm not going <laughs> to, when I say juiced, I use that loosely, um, yeah. against a stacked Phillies lineup. Um, but I think, you know, you expected this to maybe go two in favor of Philadelphia and, and Atlanta to at least take one. You know, you've got the the reigning rookie least, of the year. At least give us give give everybody else a reason to, to really. Sure. But they they honestly looked eh, not it not that great. Nothing special, nothing right. There's home still 159 for them, but uh, I mean, that is a 
a little concerning for 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 our friends that that do follow the Braves. You know who isn't that concerned right now? What? The Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh my God! They're in a. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. This is why I don't <laughs> talk baseball on the show because everybody just decides to hijack everything for themselves. Mike, you've been fantastic, by the way, in not hijacking. I really appreciate. It. I'm kidding. Capital J journalist. <laughs> yeah, capital J. Um, just take on AL East and uh, just real quick because we're gonna start going rapid fire here. Take on the AL East. Uh, Red Sox have a championship hangover, I think. It's going to take them a couple weeks mm. to get things going, even though um, I don't think the Mariners are that good. I think they really have just had a very opter, uh, opportunistic uh, opening week. So, uh, AL Central, real quick, Chris. Well, you know, we were talking about this before the show. Uh, I think Central. I think it's going to be a little closer than people expect between the Indians uh, and the Twins, but I, I still expect Cleveland to uh, pull out. Mike? Same here. I agree with Chris. Uh, yeah, Cleveland definitely winning this division. Sebastian? Year in and year out. I always call the AL Central the Comedy Central because it is always a joke. Um, uh, twins. I like Twins. like Twins. I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, this is the kind of the who cares division this year. Um, it's Well, I mean, and who cares now, but people are going to end up caring a lot later when it does get very, very close. But right now, it's just you're just kind of looking at me just like, eh. Well, well, that you, what's going to be interesting is looking at that AL wildcard spot. Yep. You know, because you, you have three teams – in the AL East, that could that that are all fighting obviously for the top spot, and then and then the two left over who are going to be competing for wild card, Twins I think could also make a run for that. Uh, AL the AL West. AL West, um, you know Houston, they're off to a slow start, not not what you expected, but I still think they have the depth to come out on top. Mike, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred million dollars. It doesn't matter how much you pay Mike Trout, the Angels are not going to win the division. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sebastian. I, I I also have Houston there, um, but I will say that I, I do have Oakland taking that second wild card slot, yeah. the Boston taking the first. Um, you know, you you'd love to see um, a story like the Rays just kind of sneak in um, to a wild card spot, but honestly, like this, the the AL West and the Central just make it so much easier for for a team like the A's to to make it through. Whereas thirty eight games against the Yankees and the Red Sox will do an upper on you. Uh, I know that the Rangers won on a wild pitch off. I, I guess that's what you'd call it, a wild pitch uh, off. They, no, they, they walked it'd be, off it'd be on a walk off wild pitch. Walk off wild. There you go. You said it better than I can. Uh, I know that that was lucky on their part, but watch out for the Rangers this year. Hmm. Watch out for the Rangers. Uh, moving quickly, we kind of already covered the NL East. Um, just I guess. I don't know. I'm just gonna throw uh, Philadelphia yeah. takes to the East. Yeah. Uh, Robinson Cano homered in his first at bat as a Met, but I think. That uh, excuse me, the Washington Nationals will win the division. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. That is that is the hot take of the night. Um, I also have Phillies, but I honestly think that uh, Degrom gets his back-to-back Cy Young. Yeah, and then I think uh, the story for for this division, Harper fits Philly, um, and kind of I we're running out of time, so I hate to take over and just do it for myself, but have to be uh, selfish here. NL Central, uh, big takeaway from that, yeah. Uh, Brewers won Yellich. the Yelich trade. Yeah, Viewers, Brewers absolutely won that trade. I mean, it's very easy to see. Well, uh, Yelich didn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't have had that season in Miami, but he's having back-to-back seasons. Looks like in uh, Milwaukee, so good for them. Uh, NOS Dodgers are basically the same as they were last year. They're just going to hit a lot of home runs, but will that uh, benefit them in the long run? So we are perfectly out of time right now. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this, you've been listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. For Chris, for Mike, for Sebastian, for Luke, and myself, Nick Carlisle. New releases up next. Thank you so much for listening.